Welcome back to another episode of the Radical Parenting Podcast. My name is Tony Shawcross. Hey, I'm Kara Porbaugh. We're joined today by Shelby Kretz. Uh, Shelby, you want to introduce yourself and tell us why you're on the Radical Parenting Podcast today? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Shelby Kretz. I am the founder of Little Justice Leaders. At Little Justice Leaders, we help parents and teachers break down complex social justice issues um, for kids in grades K through 6. So I'm here to have a conversation about radical parenting and social justice and what that all means. Cool. And when you say you help kids break down social justice issues, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah, so we look at... Um, you know, specific topics of social justice. So, for example, racism or um, immigration, things that young people might be hearing about in the media or, you know, from friends at school um, or wherever it may be and maybe don't fully understand. And we help parents and teachers um, be able to bring that down to a level that is age appropriate, that's understandable um, for kids at the developmental level that they're at um, to, you know, start to grasp some of those bigger issues that are happening in our uh, world in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah. Cool. And and this is like a for-profit business, right? People subscribe and they get a what they get a a box once a month or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So it's a subscription box for-profit um, company and yep, parents and teachers sign up and when they sign up, um they get a box every single month and each box covers a different theme. Cool. And tell us how the program came about. Yeah, so um, we've been around for almost three years now. Um, I originally came up with the idea. I was, or still am, a uh, um, PhD student at UCLA in education, and I was working in education um, before I came back to get my doctorate. And especially around the time of the 2016 election, I was hearing from a lot of parents and a lot of educators that, um, you know, there was a lot going on in the media. Um, a lot of xenophobia, for example, um, conversations about immigration, and it was causing a lot of anxiety and fear among little kids, but they, you know, the adults weren't always sure how to have those conversations, right? Like, how do you, how do you address that with a five-year-old or a six-year-old? Um, so I was hearing that from a lot of folks, and um, kind of the, you know, resounding consensus was, I, I don't know what to say, so I, so I just don't say anything at all, um, which was very you know, concerning to me because, of course, we know the kids are taking in these messages that can cause a lot of fear, confusion, anxiety um, if they're not hearing from a trusted source, like, about what does this mean? How does this impact me? You know, do I need to be afraid of uh, certain things? So um, that was kind of where that, that you know, concern was in the back of my mind. And then, you know, as an educator, I started to think, okay, maybe I could actually do something uh, to help support parents and teachers in this conversation, because I have had so many of these conversations with young people. Um, and, and then it kind of snowballed from there. And I thought, well, um, you know, what could I do? Well, it would have to be ongoing, because there's just so many topics to cover. And so that's where I kind of got the idea of a subscription box. I had never done, um, I had never, you know, started a business or done a, uh, subscription type of thing before so it was all very new to me um, but I just kind of learned as I went and like I said we are coming up on three years this August. Great and uh, is it mostly you kind of curating content looking out and seeing what what resources you think are beneficial and 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 then yeah recommending those or including them in the box? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, there aren't too many like pre-made products that focus on social justice issues outside of books. So in every box we include a book and then um, what we'll usually kind of create our own activity or craft or something to go with it that's you know age appropriate for the kids. We'll pull together some activist art. So right, we find an activist artist um, who ha you know creates a piece that is related to that topic and then um, you know the one of the most valuable parts of the box is all of the information that's provided for the adults. So that's tips for um, adults on how to talk about this. That's uh, conversation starters, right? How to get a conversation going with your kid on this topic or with your students on this topic. Um, you know, a nonprofit spotlight every month where we donate money um, that is connected to the topic that we're covering. Um, and all of that information every month we have what we call box leaders. And our box leaders are folks who are directly impacted or um, working in the area that we're covering so um, they're always like identifying with the um, if it's a community we're talking about they identify with that community if it's a topic they you know work or and are, are involved in experts in that topic and they help curate the actual content to make sure that of course um, we're doing the topic justice great cool any questions Kara yeah well I mean I have a few I'm, I'm, I'm real interested in this. Um, my daughter's five, almost six. So she's about, about kindergarten age. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by like, how do we actually talk about, um, social justice issues? And I saw that in your last few boxes, you've like done, you know, um, race, gender, environmental issues. Like, so you really get around to lots of topics and, um, like I generally wait for her to bring something for something to come about in our world that she's curious about. Um, Cause we don't do a lot of media in our house. So she's not like, like hearing stuff someplace. And I think like, I appreciate what you said about, you know, if kids are hearing stuff in the, the news or just the ether or adult conversations or whatever, and then they're not getting to process that with an adult or talk about it or be curious about it or ask questions or whatever, then it's sort of like becomes this shadowy thing that, oh, like that we don't talk about such and such or that it's not okay to ask questions about or whatever, you know, and I guess I have a little bit of a question in my mind about, um, you know, is it okay to just wait until something arrives in our in our world to talk about it and then have like really meaningful conversations because it's something that she noticed or something that I noticed or you know that we can talk about that's really there in front of us and you know in radical honesty we focus a lot on um on using our senses and noticing what's here like what happened what do people say what do people do and um, being very descriptive and noticing specifics um, rather than getting caught up in the more conceptual ideas. And so I imagine that's a lot of the work that you do is in making things age appropriate, it's about getting out of this conceptual idea and into something more um, concrete and, and noticeable that children can like really pay attention to and understand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yes to, to all of that. Um, I know that's kind of like a, a lot there to unpack, but I think um, 
yes, like making it more tangible, that is, I think, one of the big ways that we do make it age appropriate because when we talk about social justice in general in our society, it does tend to be very, you know, um, high level and uh, not very concrete or actionable. So we try to, you know, bring it down um, to, to be age appropriate in the sense that it's like, okay, here's how this looks in real life, right? How, do you have an example from real life where maybe you saw someone being bullied at school and we can compare that, or you felt left out in a situation and we can compare that um, to, you know, this topic. So it's a tangible connection that you can see and understand and have felt before. Maybe a feeling that you can then connect to a feeling that someone else um, has felt before, right? Um, mm. So, like, one example of that next month, coming out next month, we're doing a box on food justice. And we're covering a whole, you know, range of topics, but that includes hunger. So, of course, you know, kids can, who haven't experienced food insecurity and, and real hunger can still relate to the feeling of being hungry. And so can you, like, tangibly connect that feeling of you know what it feels like to be hungry um, to, you know, the wider issue of hunger in our world? Um, and then kind of to, to your, your, your first point about, like, you know, is it okay to wait? I think absolutely. I think it's such an iterative process that, like, sometimes it's going to be that we've talked about this issue and then they see it happening in the world. And other times it's going to be um, they see it happening and then we're responding to it in the moment. I think um, the one point uh, to, to make on that one distinction is that oftentimes there are certain issues that some kids will probably never run into or or see right especially you know if they're not watching a lot of media but even if they are um some of these issues are a bit more invisible so for example um you know perhaps your child doesn't witness any explicit um you know experiences of racism in their life because maybe they're a white child in a you know, predominantly white neighborhood, and they're just not seeing it very often, um, they could identify, you know, racial um, injustice in, for example, their children's books and the diversity that is represented there in the books that are, exist in their school or classroom. Um, but if we've never talked about it, then they're probably never going to make that connection. So that's sometimes the time where it's useful to maybe bring that topic up first, bring it up to them and then they will start to see in their environment more like oh you know mom I noticed that in my classroom you know 90% of our books are featuring you know only white uh, characters and they notice that only because we started to talk about racism in the home um, whereas if we wait for an event to happen um, some some topics might never you know, come up naturally or might not come up for a very long time, depending on the setting mm -hmm. that the young person is in. So that's kind of, you know, one of the benefits of starting to bring things up, but particularly for topics where you think they might run into them, um, then it can be useful to wait. But of course, you have to kind of weigh the pros and cons because, for example, um, if their first experience of understanding race is with like an extreme case of racism, um, that can be kind of damaging mm -hmm. to their understanding of race. So just casually mentioning race, bringing it up, talking about, you know, biologically why um, do different races exist, you know, talking about skin tone um, and uh, melanin, that kind of thing, giving them scientific, you know, information about that. Then, you know, if they experience um, or witness uh, an experience of racism, um, they have some basis for it that's not like 
based on you know hatred and inequality, but rather based on uh, just an understanding of what is race. So. You know, that's kind of like, like I said, it's very yeah. iterative and it's going to be different for every parent, every teacher, every child. Um, there's so many ways to do it, but a lot of different things to take into consideration of like, how do we want our child to, um, you know, develop their understanding of this topic and, you know, what can be harmful and scary and anxiety provoking and, you know, how can we make that less so while still not covering up the real issues? Right. Yeah, that's such the balance beam little point there is like not tucking things away and not being willing to talk about stuff. And then also, um, you know, I mean, also protecting them from the, the fear and trauma that is out there because it, so like, I'll give an example, like, you know, so my daughter and I are white and, but we have lots of black neighbors and my daughter's like real familiar with people of, of darker skin tones. And, and I, it's like, I just so don't want her to, to burst her bubble, you know, of like, she doesn't really understand yet that, um, we've had little conversations about, um, about like in particular, we talked once about police, that like police are supposed to protect everybody, but sometimes they are mean to people with who have darker skin than us and that that's, that that's not okay. And um, I guess I, yeah, I'm wondering how far it goes to, to do a lot of talking about skin tone without going into racism yet. And of course I'm very centered on like the age that my daughter is. So I know I'm not yet into those uh, like um, older ages, you know, and like we talk a lot about, you know, different skin tones and different skin tones amongst black people and different skin tones amongst white, amongst white people and being okay with talking about that stuff and noticing kids notice everything, you know, and it's no big deal to, for someone to say like, Oh, well, like, look at my arm. This is, I, this looks like dark chocolate and this looks like, you know, um, caramel or whatever. And, um, yeah. What do you think about all that? Yeah. I, I think there's so much value in starting with that and then moving into, you know, the realities of our world, which is inequality and racism or homophobia, yeah. whatever that might be. Um, and it's, it's great for kids who do have exposure to a diverse range of people, or even, you know, if some folks don't have that in their community, uh, you know, through intentional consumption of media, books, um, movies that, you know, show characters that are different from, um, you know, the folks in your community to have your kids start to see, um, and like you said, just normalize like, okay, all people are different, then they have that, you know, baseline understanding. So that when they do hear about, you know, racism, for example, or inequality, it's not going to make sense to them, right? We want it to not make sense to them the, for right. the first time they hear it, right? Um, but yeah. if, if that's the, if the only time we talk about race is in conjunction with racism, right? Or the only time we bring up LGBTQ identities and folks is in conjunction with homophobia or transphobia, um, then they connect that identity. So in that case, like being black or being gay, for example, uh, with you know, this negative, um, idea mm -hmm. of racism or homophobia and no. So I think there's, there's just like so much value in, in normalizing that particularly between the ages of, you know, like three to six, three to seven, mm -hmm. um, when they, 
have an awareness of skin tone for sure, um, but perhaps not any you know, understanding of obviously structural racism um, or structural homophobia. So you start to introduce, you know, LGBTQ, whether that's characters in books or, you know, people in real life is even better where they can actually like meet a person and get to know them and, um, you know, learn to love them. And, uh, you know, when we introduce those things, then a little bit later, we start to introduce those more, you know, difficult topics of, you know, well, actually not all people are treated equal, this happens. And then they have already this idea of, you know, my friend, my neighbor, my cousin um, identifies that way. And I know that person to be, you know, nothing but a good person. And so this isn't making sense to me. And, and that's when, you know, what we, what I think we've discussed before with, um, you know, the, the development of that moral compass is like, okay, I know this is wrong, um, because I know from my experience, um, as opposed to, you know, my first introduction to ever talking about race was a racist incident that I witnessed, and now someone's telling me it's wrong, and I don't really know why, um, so absolutely, I think there's a ton of value in just introducing diversity as early as possible. Yeah, thanks. So here is an example of one of our, um, boxes. So, um, like I said, they're a subscription box. They come every month. So for example, this um, particular box was our anti-racism box. Um, it comes with, it was for our third through um, sixth graders. It comes with the book. This book is anti-racist. Um, it comes with an anti-racist reflections journal for the young people to write and draw their reflections. Um, there was also an, an art activity where they were painting um, to try to find, figure out how to mix paints to create different skin tones and find their skin tones. So that was kind of what we talked about before about, um, you know, learning about skin tone and like what, you know, why are skin tones different and, you know, how do we respect and value um, different skin tones. Um, like I said, we always have some kind of art. So in this one, we have this Stronger Together magnet, um, two little like anti-racist stickers, um, and we have a poster here um, with a quote that was done by a, an activist artist. Um, yeah, and then just some other like kind of worksheets and uh, lesson plans, things like that uh, for teachers or for parents to, to do at home. Cool. Anything else you want to say about that box? Yeah, so, I mean, the way we, um, in every box we have this welcome card, and then instructions with, like, step-by-step -step how you can go through the materials. But people use it very differently, right? Depending on your child or your student's age, um, their interest in the topic, their experience with it, um, their, you know, race, racial identity in this case. Um, so there's a lot of unique ways that, you know, parents and teachers will use the boxes differently than how we recommend. And then we always have like information cards uh, for the parents to uh, get educated on the topic. Cause a lot of times, you know, if a parent or a teacher doesn't feel like they are particularly well educated on a topic, it can be very hard to be able to then break that down to a kid level. Um, so we make sure that the parents and the teachers have everything that they need to uh, learn about it themselves before they, you know, go ahead and try to teach it. My child is <clears throat> 15, 16 months old. So like, too early to be talking about any of this stuff. Kara, and I do still have some thoughts about like the foundation I want to build for my child, even at this current age. Um, 
but I am curious Rob, before I get into that, Kara, are there any other kind of social justice issues that if you were following the lead of your daughter, which I know you like to do, um, that she has kind of brought up or that have come up in real life? Definitely, definitely gender for sure. Um, you know, cause already at her age, you know, I'm so surprised by what, what she'll say about well, girls do this and boys do that. So of course we have conversations about that and saying, you know, um, you know, girls do whatever it is, you know, or boys also do ballet or things like that. And, um, or like I have, I have a friend, another mom who's like very androgynous and she's asked me several times, you know, is this person, you know, is, is she a boy or a girl? Which is a funny question, right? Is she a boy or a girl? And so we get to talk about that and say like, yeah, you know, um, and talk about what it is about my friend that is, you know, that might be different than the other moms she knows or, you know, so definitely gender. And, um, you know, we, and we play around with pronouns, stuff like that, where we'll just change the pronouns in books or we'll switch them or, you know, her, so her stuffed animals. Um, we haven't done non-binary pronouns though, but we'll just switch so that like, it's a little more fluid, you know, like which stuffed animals are which genders and things. And so those are, those are the big ones. And then probably environmental stuff too, because, um, you know, that's one of the things that I can be kind of controlling about actually, you know, we talk a lot in our podcast about like not controlling our kids. But it, when it comes to like, you know, litter or like recycling or, or things like that, you know, we there's a lot of times where we can talk about environmental stuff and say like, you know, like toilet papers like made out of trees and we're not going to use five rolls of it to like, you know, decorate the house with. Um, we'll use ribbons instead that we can reuse or something like that. So I guess those would be the big, the big three. Yeah. Oh, and occasionally there's like some, I don't, I don't know, like the correct term, but um, occasionally there's like physical disability kind of stuff that comes up because if there's any time, if we, you know, if we see someone who looks different, she wants to talk about it, you know, and she wants to notice and say like, oh, well, like, why is that person in a wheelchair or um, so we get to talk about that a lot, or she might see something that is for accessibility and she's like, what is this doing here? And we'll talk about like, oh, that's for you know, if someone's legs aren't working and they're sitting in a wheelchair, they're going to be able to get up here or stuff like that. Those things come up pretty regularly. And it's, you know, and I can feel it in myself. It's say, well, let's say we're in the grocery store in public. I can feel for me that it's uncomfortable to talk about, you know, like why this person's, you know, body looks different or, or, or something like that when I know that other people can hear us. And I'm like really glad to have those conversations with her instead of saying like, we can't talk about that. Or although Shelby, I'm, I'm wondering, do you have any advice about, um, you know, I do think there's a point at which there's a lot of people who are really willing to talk to a small child about whatever it is. And they'll say, oh, you know, my, my leg is this or that, I hurt my leg or, you know, maybe it's an injury or maybe it's a long-term, you know, um, health thing. They're very willing, you, most people are very willing to talk to a child about that. But there's times where I feel like 
we don't know yet if a, a person is willing to have their body be talked about. Be talked and it's about, not really right. my and it's not really make. So, you know, we I have had one instance where my daughter was like commenting on somebody's like the very large size of somebody's body. And I was like, oh dear God, help me. You know, what do I do? And um, because I wanted to talk about it, but not behind the person's back and also not in a way that they were gonna anyway. And I said something about, you know, that's their body and they um, may not want us to be talking about their body or something like that. And um, yeah, do you have any, what do you suggest around that? Yeah, no, those those moments are really hard, I think, for everyone, no matter like how well versed in this work you are. I've had those experiences when I'm out with my nephew and he point, you know, he's um, five years old. So he'll, you know, point and say, like, why is that person wearing that or you know, something along those lines? Um, and, you know, even though I do this work every day, it is so difficult in those moments to know the yeah. right way to respond. Um, I think it sounds like, you know, what you said was great. Like, you know, that person, that's that person's body, you know, and maybe they don't want us talking about it. And then I think that's an opportunity where, you know, maybe when you go home, you can say like, let's talk about bodies in general, right? Let's talk about why people look different, right? We're not going to talk about that one specific person because that's, you know, their personal body, but using that as, you know, a jumping off point to say like, you know, let's let's try to learn more together. Maybe um, about you know why why bodies are different. Why do you think we shouldn't? You know, we don't want to comment on people's bodies. You know, how might that make them feel? And and going through kind of those that process and you know kind of just using that as as a jumping off point to to learn from. Um, and I think, I mean, that's that's the best thing you can do. Obviously, you know, kids say things in public everyone knows um the more we have those conversations at home though and you know maybe that's something where you know if you talk a lot about um disabilities at home you one thing you might talk about is you know maybe people don't want to be you know pointed at people don't want to be uh you know you talking about them so let's be mindful of that when we're out in public if we see someone um you know who's different from us really in any way um you know let's not try to let's try not to you know mention it or talk about them um because it might be you know hurtful yeah um and what i might even suggest is like to go and talk to ask the person a question directly rather than talking within earshot yes where you know what i mean so it's like if she asks me a question and i don't know the answer it may or may not turn out well but i'd like to teach her to you know that she can that it's okay to notice differences and talk about them and to talk about it directly with the person rather than whispering behind behind their back. Um, so that it's like, you know, you can go up to someone and say like, I see, you know, I see you're sitting in a, in a wheelchair, you know, could you tell me about that? Or what, what do you need, what do you use the wheelchair for? And then I've, you know, I've never been in a wheelchair, but I imagine that might feel really good to have someone just ask me directly, like what's something that's right there obvious for everyone to see. Right. And I feel like this is a situation where like, it's very, um, it would be a different approach with a child than it would be with an adult. Right. Um, mm. so in that case, like, you know, telling your child to approach someone, for example, like in the grocery store might be appropriate, um, as an adult, probably not appropriate. Um, and I think you can teach your kids those distinctions of like, um, 
having boundaries and what those boundaries might look like. So for example, um, if you have a friend who you know is, you know, immigrated here with their family, you have a friend at school, um, and they're a really good friend, it might be appropriate for you to ask them, not their immigration status, of course, as a child, but like about, you know, where did you come from? Can you tell me about your country? Are you okay with talking about that? Um, and then that's the case for adults as well, right? If we're, if we know someone and are close to them, then asking about their experience, um, is usually appropriate. Uh, as an adult off, you know, doing that to a stranger sometimes is not appropriate because they just might not want to talk about it when they're just they're not uh, sure if you're an ally well yeah of course there's not. there's that yeah. um but but people do have like kind of an inherent trust of children a little bit more and a more of a willingness to take time out of their day to educate a child um you know whereas it's not necessarily their job to educate an adult um this is also a really really good opportunity to teach kids about consent because they could start that conversation by saying hey would it be okay for me are you comfortable with me asking you um, some questions about a question about your wheelchair like or hi I noticed like this um, or even you know even to a friend like hey I know that um, you know your family came from another country like are you okay with talking about it because I had some questions I wanted to learn um, and then you know that gives the person the opportunity yeah, to say right. you know actually I'm in a hurry I'm sorry I don't have time or like I'm not right. comfortable talking about that or like yes I would love to answer all of your questions um, mm which again, yeah, can, can be a great conversation about like, let's talk about consent and what that means. Mm -hmm. Um, and it means, you know, asking someone if they're okay with something. And so then, um, teaching your child and getting in the habit yourself to, um, ask for consent before asking questions. And then that can mm -hmm. set a whole different tone for a conversation. I mean, especially if a little kid, um, comes up and says like, Hey, um, would it be okay for me to ask you some questions uh, about this or that? And then you find a lot of people are, you know, let, let their guard down and are more willing to open up. And, th and that goes for adults too, um, as well. If you have genuine interest and questions, uh, starting yeah, with consent. Like genuine like, curiosity and right. wanting to connect with somebody about like, you know, what, what life is like for them or what's something that might be an important part of getting to know them. Absolutely. Yeah. But then it also sets the boundary of like, you know, this is up to you because it's your life, your, your, um, body, whatever it may be, um, mm -hmm. your experience. And I, I'm not entitled to it. So I'm going to start by asking if it's right. okay to even go there. Yeah. <laughs> and right. the, I mean, that's just a great lesson for kids to learn and a, an easy way to practice consent anyway, which normalizes consent, which I think is a topic that is, um, a little bit uncomfortable. We did do a box on consent. A lot of people I think are a little bit uncomfortable talking about consent with children because of the, you know, connection between like consent consent and sex um but it doesn't have to be that right when we talk to six-year-olds right. it's never about that it's about you know asking for permission to um you know do something that involves another person whether that's asking questions or giving a hug or anything like that yeah and that's what small children are working on all day long if you ask me you know like when my child goes to school it's a very play oriented um school and it's like that's just all they're doing all day it's like you know, that's pretty much all the teachers say is, um, I'm simplifying here, is like, um, it, it looks to me like they don't, like this person doesn't like that. Do you like that? And if the person says no, then they practice, you know, they have like signs for stop and like stop immediately and stuff. And um, so it's so like a regular part of their life. It's really important, you know, like finding out what other people agree to or don't agree to what they like or don't like. And um, yeah, 
Right. And that is such like a, an important foundation for like recognizing and respecting people's boundaries, which I think like some, some people never learn that lesson, you know, as kids and that they, they bring that into their adulthood and that, you know, obviously leads to a lot of issues, a lot of human rights violations, a lot of, you know, all of those things that, um, you know, but when we talk to our kids about consent that like, you know, kind of pushes that domino into effect to go into personal boundaries and respect and all of those things that, you know, we hope that they will learn um, as they grow anyway. One of the things I wanted to talk about is, is kind of the two sides of teaching morals to, to kids. A lot of parents think that it is like a core part of their job to like instill these certain views of what's right, <clears throat> of what's right and what's wrong. And I don't want to speak for Kara, but for the most part on the Radical Parenting uh, podcast, we we don't adhere to that. We don't think it's part of the job of a parent to tell children what is right or wrong. I think there are a few core things we really want to help them consider. I think consent and that body, that autonomy of every person uh, is one of those kind of core ideas. And then the ability to have empathy, theory of mind, the ability to consider other people's perspectives is again like a foundational building block. And for me, like even when it comes to racism, sexism, part of me doesn't want to tell my son this is the right way to go in any of these things. Like if you want to choose to be racist, if you want to choose to be misogynist, everybody gets to make these choices. And part of me just thinks when you give children those basic building blocks of caring about autonomy, caring about self-reliance, caring about, you know, your your autonomy, every, each person's autonomy. And when you give them the ability and the practice of considering other people's perspectives, they're just going to come up with the right answers on their own. So I'm curious, like if, if, if you're worried about kind of preaching to your kids, to the kids through these materials, if you do see some dangers in that, or if some of these materials are like, no, this is, this is the right, this is the right way. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell them that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I've definitely thought a lot about that because I, you know, agree with you. I don't think necessarily telling them this is right, this is wrong is, um, one, helpful. Two, I don't think it sticks that way, um, you know, if it's not emotional, if it's not felt. Um, so a few things. We, one, like I, you know, we try to focus the materials on exactly what you said, those core values of like empathy, right, of understanding another person's experience so some examples like it, we have a box on um transgender experiences right and we don't talk at all about this should be the law for example or we think this is what's right and what's wrong um for example rather it's this is what it means to be transgender and here are some stories of folks who are transgender so you can learn from their experience and that's it right so we're not telling them like this is what you should believe. This is what you shouldn't believe. We're saying like, you know, here are some stories where you can learn from someone who's had a different experience or their experiences that they identify as transgender. Um, and also here's some information about the ways that they have been discriminated against, um, you know, sy systematically in our society. Um, and what we hope that fosters is, of course, a sense of empathy, right? And understanding and hearing other folks' stories, um, but also like critical thinking of, okay, 
you know, I heard these people's stories or I know someone in my life who is transgender and you're telling me that they've experienced this discrimination and yeah, hopefully them coming to that sense of, you know, I, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's fair and I don't want to be a part of that. And you know, what can I do to not be a part of that? So we really hope they kind of like come to that. We don't ever talk about, you know, for example, like this is how the law should, you know, protect these people this is what we should and shouldn't do um this is you know where we should and shouldn't shop right we might say like you know think about these kinds of things what do how do you want to um you know engage in this way right whether that's uh if they might be thinking about depending on the age range like you know what what places they eat at or, or what places they shop at and thinking about the practices of those companies for example um and then they can start to decide but we would never say like you know we want to boycott this person or this thing or um or that kind of thing so that's um you know one way we do it on a more practical side from the actual curriculum um i have every month our curriculum is proofread by folks who have very different political views than i do um, because i want to make sure that we are not leaning um, too far one way or the other, right? Because we we want to be presenting stories, presenting information, um, presenting uh, you know the reality of how it is, and not that let, not in any way like brainwashing or telling kids this is how to think, um, this is how you should vote, this is how you should believe politically. So I um, yeah, from that kind of practical s standpoint, um, I have I have it proofread by people from very different political mindsets so that they can pull out like hey you're getting a little you know um a little too far left here and you're you're pushing this concept um a lot and then of course we can decide like eh, do we want to like pull back on that or is that one of those key areas that we think is so important um that we're going to keep it in but for the most part we really do try to keep it uh you know fact-based emotion and like story-based um rather than you know telling them what to believe what to think what to do Cool. And what's the age range that your materials are designed for? Kindergarten through sixth grade. Great. Yeah. And uh, Kara, how old is Elsie Jane right now? She is five and three quarters. Mm -hmm. She's almost, almost ready to get started. Cool. Yeah. And, but I do think like even with Arlo and Arlo's my son, he's, he's 16 months. It, it didn't occur to me until, you know, until he was born, some of the things that we could be doing from the very beginning. I think if you want your children to honor other people's personal freedom, if you want your children to honor other people's perspectives, other people's boundaries, other people's, uh, you know, autonomy, I think one of the best things to do is to just start honoring your kid's autonomy from the very beginning. And I think it was Janet Lansbury's book where, where she said, she described a you know, diaper changing practice of just like telling your kid everything you're doing. They, you have to kind of, you know, manipulate their body. You have to kind of take care of them. But even from the very beginning, when they can't change their own diaper or anything, you can at least tell them everything that you're doing and be respectful and responsive. You might sometimes need to wait 30 seconds or a minute or two before you change the diaper. You, and just, yeah, always like even now when I'm putting on my, my son's clothes and stuff, I'm like, this is your left arm. We're putting it through the, the sleeve. This is your right arm, you know, um, and teaching him that his body is his, not mine, uh, teaching him that, 
yeah, that that I honor his autonomy, uh, I think is one of the best ways to start building his respect for other people's autonomy. I think that's so important, and that's that can be very hard to implement. Um, you know, maybe like with you and your child, it can be easy, but once you get into real life, right, when you have that aunt or uncle who's like wanting to force a hug upon your child and you have to be the one to, you know, say like, if my child doesn't want to be hugged, then you can't hug them. Um, and I know, like I, like I said, I have a niece and a nephew, and so my sister is always kind of navigating those those boundaries with her kids as well. And we try to be very mindful of, you know, can I have a hug now? And it's like, oh, I just want a hug, but it's okay. Like, I'll, you know, like I haven't seen you in like a week, and I just wanted to give you a hug, but it's okay. Um, because, you know, I'm not obviously going to uh, want to like promote that lack of, bodily respect but I think historically um, as a society we haven't recognized children as having bodily autonomy and there is this like very normalized cultural aspect of um, you know putting you know kind of just not respecting children's bodies as their own and not respecting consent from a child's perspective Um, so I think that's going to be like a huge hopefully a huge cultural shift that's coming um in you know teaching young people like you you can say no uh to and then but then also like balancing the the act of actually parenting right like you do have to give them a bath you do have to change their diaper you do have to um put their clothes on them so it's balancing that like you know well who can touch you when and why and what extent can you say like no and what extent do i need you to be willing to take this bath at some point (laughs) um so i think that's that's a you know, challenge that parents are, are definitely navigating. Yeah, it's a big one. I, I'm, I just got kind of chills thinking about like, what is it going to be like the next generation of children who are not being quite so controlled, you know? I mean, I don't know how big of a movement it is, but in, at least in our circles, right? We know a lot of parents who are like really doing a whole new paradigm. And it's like, we don't even know, I don't think, what's possible. Like when humans grow up without being so highly controlled, what is that going to be like, you know, when generations of, of people are growing up uh, a different way? Absolutely. It's 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 exciting to watch unfold, and it'll be very interesting. Um, and even like, you know, young people now, I think 10 years from now, um, you know, when like Gen Z are raising their children um it's going to be an even larger shift than what we're seeing right now because um you know the young people who are in like high school now are already um so so much more like progressed i think in their thinking Mm -hmm. probably because of the access to information and the internet um and you know as well as like more progressive um and radical parenting um and so seeing like you know what it will be like when those folks become parents i think we're just really going to be seeing a huge shift over the next you know two generations i hope so sometimes i worry we're regressing not not progressing but let's see really yeah progress is non-linear i like to remind myself of that sometimes there's ups and downs but hopefully we are moving in the right direction yeah. Cool. Well, any closing thoughts from either of you guys? No, I'm really grateful we got to have this conversation. This was fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to, to learn more about our work, uh, they can find us on 
Uh, Instagram is where we're most um, active in terms of putting out free content for, for parents and teachers. Um, and so that's at Little Justice Leaders. Great. And what's the website? The website is littlejusticeleaders.com. Cool. Well, thank you, Shelby, so much for, for joining us. Uh, and, and if you're listening to us again, this is the Radical Parenting Podcast. We talk to different guests or review books and materials aimed at teaching our kids to really know themselves, love themselves, and express themselves fully. Um, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode. You can listen to us on denveropenmedia.org, uh, on the radio in Denver at 92.9 FM, 89.3 HD3, and at radicalhonesty.com. So thank you for joining us for the Radical Parenting Podcast, and we'll see you guys next week.